1: Well, when we worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, we had a group of students that were pretty outdoorsy, more outdoorsy than I am, and so we would often find ourselves on hikes with these masters of the outdoors, and um, our kids were pretty little then, and so inevitably, as you have you ever hiked at camp or something with kids that are not really hikers? And so um, inevitably, the uh, you know how the train will stretch out, right? And eventually, the people in the back are a long ways back there. Well, we fortunately had strong university students who would eventually just pick up our boys, put them on their shoulders, and then run and catch up. Yeah, there were those kinds of students. We also traveled overseas with those kinds of students. And so I got a great picture I found, actually. Next picture. Oh, look at that. That's baby Micah uh, on the shoulders of Ross Sundberg. And, um, and and that is, I think, how we spent most of the month of May in 2007, uh, which is up on, on someone's shoulders because we were traveling overseas with them. And uh, and so these students would, I mean, our, our kids would walk lots, but, you know, we walked everywhere. And so, every, you know, eventually to catch up, they would uh, put a kid on their shoulders. Just a little interesting side note, Ross and his wife Jacqueline are currently walking the Camino Trail in, in uh, Portugal or, or Spain with um, a five-month-old. And so um uh, they and they're carrying everything on them. And so they've been posting pictures as they walk the Camino with this baby. And uh yeah, that's so they continue to carry kids. And there you go. And but you know, when you're hiking and you get behind, isn't it nice to have someone just throw you up on your shoulders and and carry you? Catch you up a bit? Yeah. How many want that next time you're out hiking? Yeah, I know. It's exactly how I feel. But so far, no takers for me. Anyway, here's the thing. When we begin to understand what God has done in Jesus, when we begin to understand what God is doing, there's times where it feels like we need that kind of hiking buddy. We need someone to pick us up and catch us up. You know, to bring us along so that we can somehow get into the thing that God has already done. Somehow catch up to what is already reality. And that's actually what we're exploring in this current episode that we're in, in the story of Acts. Now, if you've been traveling with us for a while, allow me to recap or review a little bit for those for whom this story may be a bit fresh. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, and it tells the earliest history of the people who saw Jesus risen from the dead, and then were commissioned by Jesus to go and tell everyone else. Now, they weren't commissioned without some power to do it. In fact, He told them to wait, because the Holy Spirit was going to come. And when the Holy Spirit filled them, He would make them witnesses to Jesus, starting right in Jerusalem where they were, and then to the rest of the world. And the story of Acts tells those early days of how the witness to Jesus, the fact that Jesus had risen again from the dead, and there's this good news, and there's forgiveness, and there's freedom, and it's astonishing how it's rolling out to the world. And we've been looking at this story. Well, here we are in part two of a longer story we started last week. Some of you were here. Some of you weren't. Some of you heard it online. But allow me to do a little recap on that one too. So last week, uh, there were two visions given simultaneously or co- coordinatedly, I should say. And what we ha- discover at the start of Acts chapter 10 is that there's this Roman centurion named Cornelius, and he's a, a man of devout faith, and he's been praying, he's been giving gifts, but he is, he is outside the people of God, he's a Gentile. And an angel shows up while he's praying, we're going to hear him recount the story, uh, while he's praying and says, hey, God has noticed you now. Go get this guy named Simon. He's 30 miles down the coast in a different city. Go get him. He's got something to tell you. All right. And so Jesus goes, "Okay, send some guys." Meanwhile, down the coast in Joppa, Simon Peter, one of the core disciples of Jesus, one of the core pillars of the early church, and he's been part of it, a part of the action since, well, since before the Holy Spirit came. But now he's been part of the action of rolling this plan out. He goes up on a rooftop to pray the next afternoon. And receives a horrifying nightmare. Because what he receives as a uh, a covenant observant Jew is this big sheet of animals being let down out of the sky of all kinds of animals. Animals that he would be allowed to eat, but animals he would never consider eating. And the voice of God saying, it's time for a barbecue. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, no, that's a chance. But then twice more, God says, look, Whatever I've called clean, whatever don't call anything impure that I've made clean. And up goes the sheet again. Three times it happens. And while Peter's like scratching his head and suddenly a bit nauseated, doesn't want lunch anymore, there's a knock at the door downstairs. The three guys have arrived. It's all been coordinated by God. And kaboom. Peter doesn't know. The Holy Spirit says, oh, by the way, Peter, there's three guys at the door. Don't hesitate to go with them. Just go. And we talked about how the posture of these two men enabled them to be prepared for what God is doing. This amazing plan that God was unrolling. We explored that fully last week. I encourage you, if you missed it, go back and dig into it a bit more. But here we are. We're on the cusp. There's now. They've now come together, and now Peter, Simon Peter is going to go up the coast with these men to meet Cornelius. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue reading that together. And this morning, quite honestly, we're going to be going through the Bible together. We're going to try to make some sense of this and then pull it together at the end. And I will desperately try not to be as long as I was last week. Actually, throw something at me if I'm as long as I was last week. I give you permission. So here we are. We're in Acts chapter 10. You laugh, but I'm serious. Yep. Okay. I'll stop there. Uh so, we're picking up in Acts chapter 10, verse, uh, let's, let's, let's kind of overlap slightly. So, Peter invited these men who showed up at his door into his house as guests, and the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along with him, so he didn't go alone. Reading in uh, verse 24 of chapter 10, Acts. The following day, he, Peter, arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a human myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So Cornelius was prepared, right? He brought together everyone he could to hear this. This is amazing stuff. And so Peter said to him, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Can I just pause there for a second. Remember how we talked last week, how the posture matters? And in that posture of prayer, Peter received the preparation he needed. It's that letting down of the sheet, all that's going on, that has revealed to Peter this thing that, oh, these people that I would normally have not had any association with, that I normally would have called unclean or impure, I am not to do that. Things have changed. So, don't call anyone impure or unclean. God has shown me that. So, Peter, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection May I ask why you sent for me? Isn't that interesting? He's still a little bit in the dark. Cornelius doesn't know what he's going to say. Peter doesn't really know what he's going to say either. (laughs) God's in the mix. Uh, Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent to you, for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That's a ready audience, isn't it? It's like a preacher's dream. Then Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts those from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. Which is a profound thing for Him to say. It's really hit home to him. Whoa, God is at work here. I'm seeing him at work. God does not show favoritism. This is something incredible is happening. And then what Peter does next is interesting because then he goes on to tell them some things they already know, which is interesting. Maybe he picked that up um, from the guys who came to him. Uh, But he tells them some things they know, and it might surprise you how much they know according to what Peter says here. He says, You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Oh, they knew about that? You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. Uh, the, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went doing around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You know these things. And then he says, we are witnesses of everything He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Him by hanging Him on a tree. But God raised Him from the dead on the third day and caused Him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. Let me just pause there for a second. Remember how last week we talked about how the angel showed up to Cornelius And we ask the question, why didn't the angel just tell him about Jesus? I mean, couldn't he have told him about Jesus? Didn't he know Jesus? You know, Yeah, he probably knew Jesus. Uh, So, why didn't the angel just tell him? And remember, we explored that question. Why is it that Cornelius has to send his man and bring this guy back and all that? And we explored a couple of reasons. One is that God has always chosen to use human witnesses. And he empowered, promised the Holy Spirit would fill the uh, early church, this early group of followers, and that they would be his witnesses to the world. Chosen witnesses. Then we also talked about, which features largely into the story today, how important it was then for these outsiders to be included. And that would have been much more difficult if no one was there to see Holy Spirit come into them. But these chosen witnesses thing... Peter really emphasizes that. We were chosen as witnesses. We're doing our job. We're telling the world about what God has done in Christ. He said, He, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him, that everyone who believes in Him, everyone who trusts in Him, receives forgiveness of sins. Through his name. And that everyone in that statement, everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness. As suddenly, even in Peter's own life, the depth of that everyone has shifted. He's now looking into the eyes of people that he maybe, when he originally had read that, didn't quite realize that everyone included everyone. So there's a depth there, even as Peter shares this. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. And then, just to really, really show his hand at this point, while Peter is still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter, a.k.a. other faithful covenant observant Jews, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely, no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He's thinking back to Acts chapter 2. He's thinking back to his own Pentecost experience. He's thinking back to how the Holy Spirit came into him, and he's looking around and going, this looks pretty similar to me. The Holy Spirit has come on them, just like he came into us. How could we ever stand in the way of them being baptized in water, being included into Christ, being included in the body of Christ? The answer is rhetorical, of course. No way are we standing in the way. And so, he ordered that to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Whoo! That's exciting stuff. The astonishing fact that even them, that the Holy Spirit has come on, even them, and they're standing there seeing the work of God who's brought all this together, and, and now they're, you know, they're speaking in tongues, and they're in the body, and whoa! Everything has changed for them. But do you know what? When you follow Jesus into mission, When the Holy Spirit does amazing things, not everyone is cool with that. Others heard the story and they had some things to say. Let's keep on going with the story. Uh, Chapter 11. The apostles, the rest of them, and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. Remember? They didn't get the benefit of the vision from heaven. Nor were they in the room when the Holy Spirit fell. So they just hear the rumors. The the who? Sorry, what? The who received? And they're a bit skeptical. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, verse 2, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. How could you? Don't you realize those things are set up for our protection? Don't you realize... That those kinds of markers have, have set us apart from the ungodly, impure around us all these, all these years. And those things like food laws, those things like circumcision, those things have, have been our boundary markers that have said, we're the people of God. And unless you want to, you know, grab a hold of all this stuff, you're out. How could you do this? They've got real questions. So starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story, which was important. That they be brought into the story to see what God is up to. So he says it, and I'll read it fast. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and it came down to where I was. And I looked at it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up into heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told, told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he'd seen an angel appear in his house and say, send a Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message to which you, through which you and your whole household will be saved. As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit came on them as He had come on us at the beginning. Again, referring to Pentecost, referring to Acts chapter 2. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you we baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then here's the clincher. So, if God gave them the same gift He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I to think I could stand in God's way? And then, beautiful, when they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Oh, I love it. And that's why I titled this message, Wow! Even them! Because there's a shock quality in this story of like, whoa! Ah! Look! Even them! This is not what we were expecting. This is not what we were looking for. But God is in the mix and He's doing some amazing, amazing stuff. Well, this is an astonishing thing and, and we want to just pull it apart a little bit so we understand for it. So, the thing that struck me is how the Holy Spirit gets in there and you could say... Grabs Peter and Cornelius, but he grabs Peter and through Peter, the other believers, and through them, the church, and says, let me catch you up. And he brings them along into this new thing that Jesus has already done. It's already an accomplished fact. And this helps us, knowing that that's the Holy Spirit's job to help us catch up, it applies very directly to our community life we 're going to spoil it, but let me just say this because I think it 's helpful to understand that 's also the holy spirit 's job in our own lives personally. Then let me use an example when we believe in Jesus and we receive forgiveness and we 're now children of God, we can say with confidence, We are a child of god but let 's be honest, we might not know what that means. We might not know what does that entail. Uh, how does that change how I think, how I live, who I am? Like, we can be pretty clueless, right? It doesn't change the fact that we are now God's child. We just don't have any idea, really, what that means. And so the Holy Spirit's job is to, is to coach us, is to help us understand, oh, this is how children of God live. This is the thing the children of God do. Oh, this is how children of God speak to their Father. This is how children of God interact with each other. This is how children of God view themselves. And the Holy Spirit's job is to help us sort of catch up to what's already true of us. Just this morning in our pre-service prayer time, Jesse was praying exactly that. He, he, was, uh, he was praying beautifully. Jesse, sorry to call you out here. But you, you were praying beautifully about exactly that. That as we understand who we are, then the Holy Spirit draws us to then live out who we are. And when you look in the New Testament in particular, The moral instruction, like the things we see in the New Testament that say, live this way, don't live that way, it's always rooted in our identity of who we are. If you understand who you are in Christ, if you understand that you are now dead to sin and alive to God, if you understand the Holy Spirit lives in you, then how you live and what you do and, and the way you engage has changed. But... There's a learning process in there. And the Holy Spirit's job through the the gift of the church and through the gift of of Scripture is to help us understand now how do we live as the church? How do we live as the children of God? So it's true profoundly in, in in our personal life together. But it's really true in our life as a church that in our relationships with each other that Jesus has changed everything about us. But we bring along with us into the church and into our relationships, we bring along patterns and habits, ways of seeing each other that are more based on the way we used to live or who we used to be. And so the challenge we have in the church is to live out this new reality of what God has actually done in Jesus and not keep dragging around all the divisions that culture has given us, all the ways of seeing others that we've inherited. The Holy Spirit, His job is to help us become, well, who we really are, which is new creations in Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He helps us catch up with what Jesus has done. But here's the question. What has Jesus really done? What did He really do on the cross? And what I'd like to lead us to, just for a few moments, is another passage of Scripture from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote a a circular letter that's been tagged with the title, The Ephesians, but it's likely it was a letter that roamed around a bit. Beautiful letter. And in the second chapter, he's speaking to a group of people that were, like all of you, Gentiles. People who were far away, who were outside the family of God and had been included very much like Cornelius' household. And he's trying to help them understand what happened on the cross so that it makes a difference in how they understand themselves and how they live in the community. And so I want to take you there uh, for just a few minutes in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Listen up. But if you have it, open it, Ephesians chapter 2 or on your phones, go ahead um, and we'll just go through this. So, he talks at the start of chapter 2, all this amazing stuff, who you were and who you are now, and you were once dead and you're in your trust and sins, now you're alive in Christ, and, and he's, just, he's just going on about all the difference this makes, and you're saved by grace, not by works. No one can boast you're God's handiwork. He's going off. It's awesome. Just like only Paul can do. And then he says this at the start of verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that you, that formerly, you who are Gentiles... So, you know, speaking of people who are outside the covenant of people of God, uh, you who formerly were are, are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. So he's speaking directly into the division that was there that the church continued to drag around for a while. But he's speaking directly. So that's who you were. And he says, those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. So Paul's very clear to distance himself a bit. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Bad. Out. Excluded. That's who you used to be. But now, verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and and I think he's thinking of all the stories of the different people he's met and he's seen come to faith in Christ and be included in the body of Christ who were just like this and he's speaking to them. And we have to think of people like Cornelius as well and look around, people like us. But you've now been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, it transitions him. And now he's going to talk specifically about what Jesus did on the cross. He says this, for he, referring to Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made the two one. And when he says the two, he's saying Jew and Gentile. He's made the two one. He's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, which we saw in this story. The dividing wall of hostility that said, it is against our law for Jews to associate with Gentiles or eat with them. Right? That. Dividing wall of hostility. He's torn it down. By setting aside in His flesh, the one that got nailed to the cross, the law with its commandments and regulations, His purpose, Jesus' purpose on the cross, think of this, was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. Which refers to Gentiles, but also us down through history. Far, far away. And peace to those who were near. Like Peter. For through Him, we both, and when Paul says both, he means Jew and Gentile. We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. That's what Jesus did. See how the Holy Spirit is helping the church, helping us catch up with what Jesus already did? Consequently, Paul goes on and finishes with this. Consequently, because of this, this is the consequence of what Jesus did on the cross by making one new humanity out of the team. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see how the Holy Spirit is helping them catch up to what is already true because of what Jesus has done on the cross and the challenge of the Ephesian Christians, the challenge of us is that we allow the Holy Spirit to help us catch up. So that we live into the reality of what is already true, of what Jesus has done. And in that passage, we're shown very clear. There's not two peoples of God. There's one. God's people are one people. The Holy Spirit comes to live in them, and them become us. We are together. The near, the far away. And this is the great mystery that is unveiled, in not only in Jesus, but now through the Spirit, as the... Good news of Jesus goes out uh, to the world. Jesus did something the cross that, um, and Paul actually uses this illustration in Ephesians, It's very much like marriage. It takes two and makes them one. And there's this beautiful coming together, this one new humanity. So what's the Holy Spirit doing here in Acts? He knows what Jesus did. He knows clearly what is already true. But now, he picks Peter up on his shoulders <laughs> and he runs all the way to Caesarea. How's that for an image? He catches them up to what is already true. But you know what? He's still helping us catch up. I mean, you can look at Christian history and think, wow, Holy Spirit, you've still got some work to do. we still got some catching up to do, don't we? In our own personal lives, in our lives as a church, in our lives globally as a church, we still got some catching up to do. There's at least three ways I think the Holy Spirit is busy at work catching us up. The first one is that um, I think it, it's really significant that we, we we stand here because we're we're um, we're inheritors of this story. But um, we can think of ourselves in the place of the Jewish Christians, but let's be honest, folks, you aren't. Most of you aren't anyway. We're in the place of the Gentile Christians, and so what we recognize right off the bat is that even them is even us. And right here, before you go any further, it's realizing that this this story is the story of, of our adoption. This is our good news story. The fact is, we were the ones who were included. That on this day when the Holy Spirit brought Peter up and the Gospel was preached and the Holy Spirit fell, that was the day that you and I, were, we can look back and say, that's the day! I mean, we look back at the cross, of course, but I'm saying, that's the day when the Holy Spirit really helped the church catch up. And we're inheritors of this story. This is a good news story where we find ourselves included. We find ourselves adopted. And I think it's it's important that we root everything in that. That when we gather to celebrate as a church, we're celebrating the fact that God came. That in Christ, those dividing walls of hostility were ripped down. And that we were included. The Holy Spirit came into us and we've been made part of God's family. And so we celebrate that good news as a people. When we gather to worship, when we pray, when we walk throughout our days, we live as people who celebrate the fact that we were included. And that's humbling. And that's mind-blowing. And that fuels everything else that we do. We come from this place of gratitude and celebration that we have been included. Isn't that beautiful? We root it in that. But then, of course, we know that the other way the Holy Spirit is, is making uh, this a reality in our own lives, making what Jesus has done a reality, is right here in our relationships. The truth is, sometimes we need to remind ourselves, when we are tempted to apply to our lives as a church, to our relationships, when we're tempted to apply uh, divisions that are not part of the body of Christ, when we're tempted to pull in things that divide people in our culture and apply them to the church. That we're reminded, uh, 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 we've been made one in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's job, whether it's in uh, personal relationships where we seek forgiveness, where we speak the truth in love, where we, we tr- entrust each other and we, we believe the best about each other and we pray for one another we're going to live in community as the Holy Spirit teaches us in a way that, that rings true to what Jesus already did on the cross, as opposed to doing what has happened often through history, where the church has been a mirror image of the divisions that have existed around, whether it's in how people are treated racially, whether it's in how men and women are treated, economic classes, All the things that keep people apart when we allow them to seep in or even control the church, we're actually denying in our lives the reality of what Jesus has done. It's the Holy Spirit's job, and that's often so deeply personal, requires so much, oh man, I hate it, but i got to reach back to last week, so much posture, so much preparation. That we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us as a community. We lean into this one new humanity together. And we don't allow things to divide us like unforgiveness or bitterness or gossip or slander or even hurt feelings. We take responsibility for that. We come to each other. We engage with one another. Because we are convinced the Holy Spirit is bringing into reality what's already been true for centuries. So it applies to our relationships. And so I offer you a bit of a a challenge, I guess, an application for you to ask the question, where in our life together? Where in your relationships with others, particularly those of us who do follow Jesus, your relationships with others who also follow Jesus, your relationships within the church, have you allowed bitterness or unforgiveness or misunderstanding? Have you allowed things to keep you separate from each other? Are you choosing to believe worse about someone as opposed to the best? Are you choosing to hold a grudge? Are you seeing people through the pattern of what they think ideologically or politically? Are you choosing to to view people through lenses that you've inherited from your family of origins versus the gospel itself? What is it? Ask yourself that question. Because the Holy Spirit's role, and can I be so bold as to say, and he's doing it right now, is to raise in our hearts and minds areas in our lives where we need to catch up. He's trying to catch us up to what is already true. Because Jesus took the two and made us one. One new humanity. And he, by his Holy Spirit, is helping us live into that. So, relationships, a big thing. And then the third one, which will take a touch more time, is in us as a whole church. I'm going to say in us globally, multi-ethnically. I'm thinking about how our oneness in Christ, particularly as we get back to this original story, really talks about the coming together of peoples who have been mutually hostile. And the Gospel cuts through that. The gospel shows that this one new humanity has been given, and so we hear these great, um, uh, amazing, like we, we talked about last week, at, in, in Jesus Christ. There's these these things no longer divide us. There's no longer Jew and Gentile, male, female, slave, free. That we've been made one, and yet we often don't live like it, as a church. We don't live like it personally. What we come to understand here at the heart of this story is these Gentiles are being included but not having to become Jews in the process and how the church is now having to figure out what does it mean that we're one in Christ but we're very different. What it doesn't mean is that we then all look the same. Unity is not uniformity. But neither is diversity a reason for division. And that's really important. That as the Holy Spirit leads us toward unity, He's not going to make us all look the same. But as He enhances and, and, and calls out the glory of diversity, He's not going to allow us to use that for the sake of division. Uh, a great theologian, his name is Randy Woodley, he's a Cherokee theologian. He, um, he, he, he said that that's one of the enemy's uh, tactics, is to let us think, uh, uh, kind of think we're pursuing unity, but when really we're just pursuing uniformity. Like everybody's got to look like me, because that's what you know, we think unity, but we really interpret that as everyone has to look like me and agree with me. Or that we think diversity is really just all about division. And he says those are two that's a two pronged attack of the enemy to destroy what God has really done in Christ. Because what we discover is our oneness in community, what Jesus accomplished in the cross isn't a coming together so that we all look vanilla. But rather It's a coming together that we see, for example, in the book of Revelation toward the end, when surrounding the throne and singing the glory of God are people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language, and there's this beautiful diversity because God loves diversity. There's this beautiful coming together where people are lifting their voices. This is why, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, He doesn't erase the people's original language. They give praise to God in their original languages but, oh, look at that, they're no longer a barrier to unity because everyone can understand it. As opposed to just making everyone speak the same, there's a glory in the multilingual, multicultural expression of praise to the God who has saved them. And so what we see in scriptures, that the Holy Spirit works to catch us up. He's bringing us into true unity, but there's a beauty in the diversity that's coming together. This is rooted in who God is. This is rooted in the fact that the God we worship is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are in a perfect relationship of oneness and yet are uniquely themselves. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So our triune God who is one and yet three. Look at that. We image God in our own community where we are united in Christ. He has made us one new humanity and yet we can glorify Him uniquely with who we are and who He's made us to be. What this means for us, though, is that we still have work to do. Or rather, shall I say it, the Holy Spirit still has work to do to help us catch up to that reality because too often, alluding back to what I already said, we've allowed the divisions of culture to be enforced in the church. And what it's meant is, while we've spoken the words unity What's often expressed in the particular community we're part of is maybe a denial of the diversity of God's body. And so the challenge for us to get in on what God is doing is that we need to lean back out. We need to follow the Holy Spirit. Let Him lead us out into that diversity which shapes His body, which gives glory to God, just like the creation around us is beautifully diverse. God's people are beautifully diverse, too. And so, there's a beautiful application here, an invitation for all of us. We are from a decidedly white church. Look around you, folks. But the, yeah, but the beauty of this call is that we have been united in fellowship in the body of Christ, with people all over the globe, with people of every ethnicity and language and skin color and and experience. We've been united in Christ together. And so there's a call here as the Holy Spirit invites us. I got someone I want you to meet. Your life's going to change because of it. I know my life has, as a young man, being able to spend uh, months overseas worshiping in, uh, I'm thinking now in particular of one place I was at where I was the only white guy for a long time, which is a very good experience for everybody to have. And, and I'm worshiping there, and it might as well have been tongues because I don't understand what's happening. But to be part of this community of wonderful believers had, had such a profound shape on my early life. I began to understand in, in a way that I think you only really can when you get into the trenches with someone. But these are my brothers and my sisters. And so for us as a church, is an invitation the Holy Spirit is giving us to lean into the multi-ethnic global reality. Now, I know that can be a challenge here in Creston, but it's not as big of a challenge as we think. Because the invitation of the Holy Spirit is to do in many ways what Peter did. To cross the line in friendship. To go into people's houses and eat with them. To see where the Holy Spirit might be at work. And then just to be the witness to Jesus that He's called you to be. But I invite you in concrete ways, there's a lot of different ways we could do this. I invite you next time you're traveling, wherever it is, particularly the south end or like down in the states or one of the larger centers, to go find a church that's of a different ethnicity than you're used don't, to. Don't, don't, don't go to a white church. You, you know what a white church is like. Look around. <laughs> go to another church and, and experience what it means to worship with people from a different ethnicity and a different Culture, I'm looking forward to. It. I had to cancel it for now, postpone it. In March, um, I'm going to go preach in Calgary at the Calgary Chinese Alliance Church, and I'm really excited about that. And uh, my friend John Lim invited me. We worked together for years at the University. I put it off till May now uh, because of Tanil's upcoming surgery. But but I'm looking forward to going there and being part of that church. I mean, I get to preach, but really, it's just an excuse to because man, they 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 serve awesome food, and um, and I know what I know what a weekend with John will be. I'll. I'll put all my weight back on. And, um, and so I'm really looking forward to that. But take that kind of experience. Like take that seriously. Go. But there's lots of other ways. Cultivate friendship with people from other cultures. I know a number of you really lean into that with our Sikh community here and, and with others uh, across other ethnic lines, even here in our, in our valley. I encourage you to lean across those lines. And if that's um, a bit scarier for you, start reading from people from different perspectives or, or Christians from cross-cultural. Start researching a bit more about people you'd like to learn about. Um, and, and maybe maybe there's people here in our community who've experienced some cross-cultural learning. Talk to them. Talk to Alan, and Annalie. Talk to... Uh, there was someone else that was just in my mind and now you're out there and I know you are. Peter and Cheryl. Doug Johns. Like, there's just a whole bunch of you that is, have experienced cross-cultural experience. Go and talk about what they've learned. Listen to music that isn't always in English. And, and, and try to experience. I found this great worship group from Indonesia. Like, I don't understand a word of Indonesian. And you probably don't either. But man, they've got amazing music. And so, you know, instead of putting Beethoven on, you can put on some worship music from Indonesia, and it won't, it won't, it won't, you know, uh, distract you by the words. You'll be able to, you know, just rock it out with the Indonesians. It's awesome. Here it is. The Holy Spirit wants to help us catch up to what He's already done in Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a gift. It's something that grows us. It's something that nurtures us and matures us. And we begin to understand God better and see God praised more as we grow and understand what God has done in Jesus and is now making a reality by the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's a great invitation. We're in on it, whether we want to be or not. But isn't it better to let the Holy Spirit lead us more deeply into that? It's beautiful. Will you stand? Let's pray together. Jesus, on the cross, through your blood, you did something none of us knew was happening. When the world stood and saw you die, little did they know that you were doing something that had this profound, Historical ramification on everything. The very fabric of life changed. And to know that on that cross, Lord Jesus, you were doing something hidden from everyone but you and your Father and the Spirit who were involved in tearing down the dividing wall of hostility to make one new people, one new person. Jesus, we give you praise for that. We give you glory for that. We are amazed. We celebrate our inclusion into your body. That Jew and Gentile and Korean and Russian and Somali and Greek, that somehow all together and more and more and more, (laughs) your body, your one body with this beautiful expression of diversity is coming together. We just give you praise and glory and ask Holy Spirit. We yield ourselves to you. We ask that you would continue to lead us more deeply into that. We ask that on a global front, that you would move us more deeply into friendships across culture and that that would help us remove our own cultural blinders, but also that we would just, oh, we'd be so joyful as we celebrate all that you're doing in the lives of our brothers and sisters around the world. But also, Lord, applied right here in our fellowship that we would truly not allow division or uniformity to mark us, but rather we would Live out our unity as we celebrate each other's unique gifts to the body. Holy Spirit, we invite you to make real in us what is true because of Jesus. May we all together, with confidence and with grace, with humility and with boldness, celebrate who we are in you and what you have done for us. For your glory, the building of your church the salvation of this world. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.